Welcome to the God Solution Show, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm excited that you're listening again this morning. Well, I hope you caught last week's interview with Dr. Doug Groteis of Denver Seminary, the author of Christian Apologetics and many other books. It was a great first part of the interview. We're going to be interviewing him again this morning, also on the topic of Buddhism. So I hope that you are excited to hear more from Dr. Groteis and excited to learn about Buddhism and how to engage your Buddhist friends with the gospel. It's going to be a great show. Anyway, I mentioned last week how Dr. Groteis is the author of Christian Apologetics, how he's authored numerous other books, how he teaches at Denver Seminary. He actually is a philosopher there and has his doctorate in philosophy, and he actually teaches the apologetics program there at Denver Seminary. So it is a real privilege to get to talk to him again this morning. You can find out more about Doug Groteis at douglasgroteis.com, and that's spelt Douglas, G-R-O-O-T-H-U-I-S. Again, that's Douglas, G-R-O-O-T-H-U-I-S. So go to douglasgroteis.com to find out more about Dr. Doug Groteis. Well, anyway, we're going to pick up the interview from last week. This is part two of the interview. I hope that you're excited to hear all that Dr. Groteis has to share about Buddhism this morning and how it's different than Christianity and how we can reach Buddhists for Christ. Here's part two of that interview. Welcome back to the God Solution Show, Dr. Doug Groteis. Thank you for having me again. Last week you talked about some of the basic teachings of Buddhism and why Americans are interested in Buddhism and some of the flaws in Buddhism, like some of the problems with reincarnation and other things. For our audience, if they missed last week or if they maybe forgot, why don't you recap a little bit about what you talked about last week real quickly? Yes, I'd be happy to. The three religions that are most known for a person, a founder, are obviously Christianity with Christ, Buddhism with Buddha, and Muhammad with Islam. And they all gave teachings that are memorable and which have spread around the world. Uh, The person we know, or we call Buddha, uh, was originally named Siddhartha Gautama, and he supposedly found enlightenment and taught the Four Noble Truths. The first is that life is suffering. The second is that suffering is caused by desire. We have what we do not want. We, We want what we do not have. And the answer to this is to cease desire, get to the root of the matter. And the way you cease desiring is through right living and right meditation. So there's no concept of God revealing himself, God offering himself for our salvation. It's ultimately up to the individual to find enlightenment. And the ultimate state in Buddhism is called nirvana, which means what's left when you blow out a candle. Nirvana is not a person, place, or thing. It's considered a some kind of a state of being. It's not being with anyone else. It's not being with Buddha, but it means the disappearance of the personality. So that, of course, is very different than Christianity and very different from any other religion. Why do you think Americans are interested in Buddhism? Just real quickly. I think it's because they're harried and frazzled, and Buddhism claims that it will give you tranquility through meditation. There's a strong emphasis now on something called mindfulness. Psychiatrists, psychologists, and others have studied this, and they claim that this essentially Buddhist practice can 
free us or at least eliminate a lot of stress and illnesses and diseases caused by this stress. So instead of the biblical view, which is there is a a kind, uh, loving, just, all-powerful God whom we can trust and we can actually know through the work of Christ, there's the idea of letting go of your thoughts and not worrying. But biblically, we have prayer. We make our needs and our concerns known to God. God hears us, and God has shown the way to live and even the way to suffer well Hmm. in the Bible. We know that the greatest suffering that was ever experienced was for our redemption. When Christ was on a, a cruel, bloody Roman cross, and one of the things he said was, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" He was quoting Psalm of David, Psalm 22, which is a psalm of lament. So Christianity teaches not detachment, but repentance from sin, from unhealthy habits in life and bad thinking and wrong living, and it teaches faith. That is, believing what God has revealed and trusting in the person who believed, uh, who gave it to us and what is made known in the Scripture. And also Christianity uh, provides intellectual fulfillment. And I know this as a Christian philosopher. The biblical view of the world, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, is true and is rational and is meaningful. And I tried to give the best case for that that I could in my book, Christian Apologetics. I don't find Buddhism intellectually satisfying. I don't find it compelling because it really doesn't honor the human person. It doesn't say that we can be forgiven and renewed. It says that we have to extinguish ourselves because life is ultimately hopeless, life in this world. I think you're right on the intellectual satisfying aspect of Christianity. I've always said Christianity is intellectually satisfying, and I think it's so funny when people like Dawkins try to make the claim that they could never be intellectually satisfied except through atheism or something like that. And I think actually when they start asserting causeless events and they start uh, refuting the, the, the beginning of this universe a finite time ago from nothing, Right. I, th- I think, how in the world could they be intellectually satisfied? This is unbelievable, right? They start hypothesizing any multitude of yeah. imaginary universes. This isn't intellectually satisfying. I think you're right, and I just want to make a note. I don't want to get too far off track, but I think as Christians, we can be intellectually satisfied more than anyone else, and that's why Jesus himself said to love God with all of our mind. In him, we don't check our mind at the door. We really do have the answers that the human soul longs for. Right. And also, here's a big difference between Jesus and Buddha. Uh, Jesus, of course, was a theist. He said we should pray our Father who art in heaven, and he claimed to be divine. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And that's the divine name revealed to Moses in Exodus 3.14 from the burning bush. And Jesus was a philosopher. He interacted with all the major issues of the day. And he was not, unlike the Buddha, what's called an ineffableist. Uh, It's a big word, but it means that ultimate reality cannot be communicated in words. You have to somehow experience it in a mindless state. And as you mentioned, 
Jesus said we should love God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and our neighbor as ourselves. So Jesus communicated in logical statements. He argued with people, and I mean he gave rational arguments. And he had a coherent worldview. He didn't simply say, life is suffering, and here's how you transcend it through mental and physical discipline. The metaphysics went deep. He said, he affirmed the Hebrew Bible, that God created the world. He affirmed the doctrine of sin. As Paul puts it, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And he speaks of the future, the restoration of the world at the hand of God. That is so different than the teachings of Buddha. Jesus was in no way an ineffableist. In fact, John 1.18 says that Christ, who's identified as the Logos in verse 1 of John, 1 John 1, the Word has became became flesh and dwelt among us. That's verse 14. And verse 18, the Logos has made the Father known. Made the Father known. That's a statement of metaphysics and epistemology. There is a God. There is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God the Son, the Logos, dwelt among us, incarnated as a bona fide human being, and as such, in his life, in his teaching, in his death, in his resurrection, he has made God known to us. So frail, pathetic, sinful human beings, through the agency and grace of God, can know who God is and can know that they are forgiven and redeemed if they have repented and have believed in Jesus Christ. What a difference. So people who say, Jesus and Buddha taught the same basic things, have studied neither Buddhism nor Christianity. I had a student actually make a comment very similar to that just this past week. He said, aren't they extremely similar? Aren't they just different ways of saying the same thing? I said, absolutely not. They are not at all the same thing, or even similar for that matter. Why don't you elaborate a little bit more for us on some of the differences between Jesus and Buddha? Well, let's consider their deaths. Buddha died at about age 80 through food poisoning, and his last words were supposedly, uh, strive without ceasing for salvation. Now, Jesus died as a young man. He was considered a criminal, a rebel against Rome, which he wasn't, and a heretic before the Jews, which he wasn't. But he said that he had to suffer and die, and that he would be raised from the dead on the third day. This was no surprise to him. And yes, he died as a martyr for what he believed, but he died also, of course, as our substitute. As John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And on the cross, Jesus said a number of things. He forgave his enemies. He also said, probably most profoundly, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22, Psalm of David, one of the many lament psalms in the Psalter from the Hebrew Bible. And his death had meaning not only in that he stayed true to his convictions, but that his death was the liberation of the human race and the entire universe. That death had more significance for life than any death ever did or 
ever will have with respect to significance. So he died in our place. He's our redemption, atonement, and so on. And through him, we can be forgiven, justified, set right with God, and given direction and meaning and purpose in life. And that idea of his death bringing life to us because we are spiritually dead is completely different than the death of Buddha. The death of Buddha really is inconsequential. It's the teachings of Buddha that supposedly matter. The idea of him as a sage who made known the Dharma, the teachings of salvation. But Buddhism and Christianity differ at every point. They differ on the understanding of the human being, the problem of the human race, and then what can be done about it. That's an obvious difference between Jesus and Buddha. What about some other ones? Well, there are a lot of differences. For example, Jesus taught that there would be a final reckoning. There would be the separation of the sheep and goats, that this is eternal, and that one is reconciled to God through the work of Christ, which we receive by faith. And there is an eternal hell, and there is an eternal heaven. You see that in Matthew 25:46. It says the righteous go to eternal life, and the wicked, the goats, go into eternal punishment. There's no sense of an eternal heaven or hell in Buddhism. And Buddha has nothing to do, really, with where you end up. And where you end up is considered nirvana. It's not a place. It's not a better world. It's no world at all. And the idea is that if you don't find enlightenment in this particular lifetime, you can be reborn and perhaps find it in the next lifetime, or the next lifetime, or the next lifetime. There's no idea, really, of grace, of a God giving you the revelation and enabling you to be saved. That's a teaching of Christianity. And you have certainly the idea of grace based on the goodness of God in the Hebrew Bible as well. So Judaism teaches that, but not as clearly as Christianity, because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Hebrew Bible and of the nation of Israel. So there are differences everywhere. People get, I think, confused or deceived when they look at some of the ethical teachings of Jesus and Buddha, which are in some ways similar. But that's because human beings made in God's image have a sense of right and wrong. Paul discusses this in Romans 1 and Romans 2. It's not that Buddha had some special insight into morality. He was a human being with a conscience. So he discussed uh, caring about your neighbor and being peaceful and things like that. But there wasn't the radicality of the moral teaching that we find in the teachings of Jesus because uh, Jesus said to lay down your life, to love your enemies, to pray for your enemies. Well, in Buddhism, there's no concept of prayer, no interaction with a higher being. It's about meditation. And it's not biblical meditation where you reflect on the scripture or you ponder the things that God has done in your life. It's meditation in order to annihilate yourself, to move beyond the illusion that you have a self, to still or actually to abolish all desires whatsoever. 
you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. We're interviewing Dr. Doug Groteis of Denver Seminary about the issue of Buddhism and specifically how we can better reach Buddhists for Christ. Thanks for listening. So what about those that have Buddhist friends? I'm sure that people in the audience have Buddhist friends, or maybe they're Buddhists listening. How, how can we better reach those that are kind of drawn to Buddhism and our spheres of influence? Well, the first thing is to pray for wisdom before, during, and after, that the Holy Spirit would be working in your life and in the other person's life, and then to listen. I think the question is very significant. First, uh, why are you a Buddhist? And then, of course, what does it mean to be a Buddhist? And what kind of benefits do you derive from your Buddhist practice? So you get to know the other person's story and their worldview. We need to have big ears. That's a term from jazz. It means that the jazz musician on the stage needs to listen to what the other players are doing in order to play the right notes. I think starting with questions is a, is a very good way to lead into Jesus and the Gospel. And you could ask the person, well, uh, who is the Buddha? What did he do? What did he teach? And you might ask, do you think that's related to the, che- the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament? And they probably will say yes, they agree on the basic things. Or they might be more critical of Jesus. They might say, no, Jesus wasn't enlightened because he believed in a all-powerful God and there's all this teaching of sin in Christianity. But you can go on from there, uh, simply drawing the comparisons between the worldviews. And, of course, one's own testimony is significant because the Christian's testimony of conversion has to do with receiving grace from a loving God. And even the audacious claim in the sense of being born again. You see that, of course, in John 3, where he says, you must be born again. There's no idea of regeneration or the grace of God affecting us in Buddhism. It's, ironically, it's self-effort without a self. Surprising. So, I think that all of us need to cultivate this ability that you're talking about to ask good questions. And in fact, we always train people in evangelism to ask good questions and to use questions. You might pick up a book called Question Evangelism, if you're listening this morning. And that's kind of the premise of the book, is to use good questions to bring Christ into conversations that you're already having. And I think there's this misunderstanding that I have to know everything about somebody else's worldview before I can approach them for Christ. That's not true, right? I can simply go to someone and say, hey, I don't know a whole lot about Buddhism. And I think as far as Buddhism goes, there's so many different variant aspects and so many different types that it doesn't hurt just to be ignorant and to say, hey, tell me a little bit more about your faith. And from there, to bring Christ into the conversation. So really good answer there, and thank you for encouraging us to do that in our conversations. Let me suggest another book. I'm sure you know of it. Greg Kogel's book called Tactics. Absolutely. Yeah, which is not so much about the arguments for Christianity. He does give some of those. It's more the kind of posture you take through conversations. So knowing the arguments is vital, but also knowing how to be wise in persuasion 
just as significant. Mm-hmm. And let, let me recommend another book that is extremely good on this by one of our great living statesmen for Christianity, Oz Guinness, his recent book called Fool's Talk, which is about engaging people, enticing people, challenging people, trying to create strategies for reaching people that have no felt interest in Christianity. We often leave those people out. We say, well, the Lord's not working in their life. Well, it may be because we haven't taken the pains to Absolutely. really reach out, or maybe God is working, but it's not obvious. And, and by, through a conversation, you can help people see what's going on. In John 12, Jesus said, If I am lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto myself. And then John immediately clarifies the next verse. He said this concerning the manner of death by which he would die. So I believe that God is drawing all men to himself through his kindness. We read that in Romans 2, 4. So bank on that. Talk to your Buddhist friends, assuming that God is already showing them his kindness in such a way that they will respond if given the opportunity. Hopefully they will, they will be able to hear a clear presentation of the gospel and be able to wrestle with these issues. So definitely take the initiative. And if you want more on tactics, I would encourage you to go to godsolutionshow.com and look at our past interviews. We had the opportunity of having uh, Greg Kokel on about a month or two ago, and he talked on the show about his book, Tactics, and how you can bring conversations back to the gospel by using good questions. Well, Dr. Groteis, I don't want to let you go before I just hear any last words that you might have for the audience. What would be your encouragement? We're in trying times as Christians in America. It's a unique social environment. I think the hostility is increasing. We had Christians lined up and shot at a university here in America recently, and that's happening, of course, even more throughout the world. What would you say to those listening today? The first thing is know where you're going to spend eternity. Come to Christ, not by your own works, your own merit, not by a mystical experience, but come to Christ as he is. He offers himself as Lord and Savior. He died on the cross to atone for our sin, and he challenges us, he really commands us to come to him, to deny ourselves, take up our crosses daily, and follow him in the adventure of salvation. And if so, we are not our own. We were bought with a price, and that price is the cross of Christ himself. We don't rely on our own strength or abilities. We lean on the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth. And I think we have to develop our understanding of what it means to be a witness to Christ. As the world becomes increasingly dangerous and threatening to Christians, we have to think through if we're willing to pay the ultimate price, and that is martyrdom. We see that throughout Scripture, but... I think the book of Revelation gives us some profound accounts of those who are persecuted and even killed for their belief. And it says that they overcame their persecutors through the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and because of the fact they didn't love their lives unto death. They were willing to take up uh, the ultimate cross, which is death. So we want to die to self, die to the world, die to the devil, so we're in a position where we can give everything. Now, most of us will probably not be martyred, but we have a witness. We have prayer, our friendships, our writing, our teaching, our preaching, our evangelism, social reform for the cause of the gospel. So 
as John Piper put it in an excellent book, don't waste your life. Absolutely. Live for God. Come what may. Well, that's one resource, and you've mentioned a few other, like Christian Apologetics. I hope that everybody in the audience will go out and buy Christian Apologetics by Dr. Doug Groteis. His last name is spelt G-R-O-O-T-H-I-U-S. So Doug Groteis, and that's Christian Apologetics. Uh, Dr. Groteis, are there any other resources of yours or even anybody else's resources that you would highly recommend or any sites that you'd like listeners to visit? Yeah. Well, there's so much. Since I'm a guest, I guess I'll talk about my own resources a little bit. Excellent. I have a webpage, which is called douglasgroteis.com. And actually, the spelling is G-R-O-O-T-H-U-I-S, not I-U-S. Sorry about that. It's a common mistake. I misspell it myself sometimes. (laughs) So you'll have a a very regular blog at uh, douglasgroteis.com. There are also links to uh, interviews and speaking engagements there. I have another book that I think is very pertinent to this issue of Buddhism called On Jesus, where I look at the teachings and arguments of Jesus and claim that he was a very special kind of philosopher. So I think those resources would be helpful. You can simply go on Amazon and put my name and find my other books. Uh, There's so many books that I recommend. I think in terms of the rhetoric of apologetics, I mentioned Tactics by Kokel, and then also Os Guinness's fine book, Fool's Talk. And there's another book uh, written by James Sire called, I think it's called A Little Primer on Apologetics, and that also has to do with how do we present this message? In what way do we communicate these arguments? You don't simply hit people over the head with good arguments. You have a sense of timing and discernment and prayerful dependence on the Lord for these endeavors. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on again, and I would love to have you back on sometime talking about some different topics and different issues, but it really has been a joy having you on, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, you're welcome, and I appreciate what you're doing. Thanks so much, Dr. Groteis. Hey. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you got a lot out of this interview with Dr. Doug Groteis. This was the second and last part of the interview. I'm sure we'll have him on again to talk about other issues. But if you missed either the first part or you just want to hear it again, go to godsolutionshow.com to get the rest of this interview, and you can get this week's show there too. Anyway, Dr. Doug Groteis talked a lot about how salvation is really found only in Jesus Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I ask that you would begin that today. Why would you possibly put that off any longer? The Bible says that that relationship begins with faith, That when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're adopted into his family and you're made his child and you're guaranteed salvation. You can look forward to a life of meaning and purpose on this planet and an eternity with him in heaven, having put your trust in him. You could do that right now, verbalizing it through prayer, saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are and that you died on the cross for my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead to give me new life. I ask that you'd come into my life right now, that you'd be my Savior and Lord, and that you'd make me the kind of person that you want me to be. That you want me to be. Anyway, if you prayed that prayer today, it's not a magic trick, but if you sincerely put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're his child this very morning. If you already do know Jesus Christ, I hope that you'll continue growing with him. Go to godsolutionshow.com for a list of local churches that you could visit. 
And also, while you're there, please use the contact form to get in touch with us and maybe even look at some past shows under the Past Shows tab. Definitely, while you're there, consider partnering with us to expand the ministry of the show. Use the Partner tab to do that. It would be great to have you on board with the team, helping reach more people with the evidence for their faith in Jesus Christ. Well, it's been great having you on the show. We'll be having some incredible interviews coming up soon. That will include, Lord willing, Dr. Ravi Zacharias, who will be on. He won't be talking about the issue of Buddhism, although his book, The Lotus and the Cross, is a masterpiece when it comes to that topic. But it looks like we'll be talking to him about his most recent book on the problem of pain, suffering, and evil. So it'll be a great show, and I encourage you to keep listening, and please let your friends know about the show as well. Well, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. I believe that with all my heart. I'm so glad that you're listening to the show, and I look forward to being back with you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful afternoon. <laughs>